Welcome to Life Isn't Lived on a Spreadsheet with Ryan Potterack from Potterack Capital Advisory. You have unique values, objectives, fears, life experiences, and biases. Any financial professional who ignores or minimizes the importance of your story may not be able to help you achieve your ideal outcomes or hit your goals. It's time to experience the PCA difference. In this podcast, we help business executives, soon-to-be retirees, and solutions-based individuals overcome the anxiety leading up to their upcoming years. We do this by initiating in-depth discussions about the financial aspects of retirement, like tax planning and asset allocation, alongside, and often overlooked, personal and lifestyle aspects. Join us on this journey where we explore retirement from a contrarian point of view, as Ryan draws from years of expertise and guest experts to help you explore the true purpose of your money in retirement and the impact you want to make in your golden years. Now, on to the show. Are you still trying to live on a spreadsheet? Well, you can stop that right now, and Ryan Potterack can help you. In his first podcast episode, we learned about Ryan the person. Well, today, we learned about Ryan the wealth manager and his virtual firm, Potterack Capital Advisory. I'm Patrice Sikora. So Ryan, we know you are a man of family and faith who works to help clients live a meaningful life. When did you start your firm and how has your focus changed since then? Well, first, hello, Patrice. Great to be on again. And, uh, you know, I started in this industry in 1990. So I guess that's quite a while ago, but decided (laughs) decided to uh, go independent, kind of let loose my entrepreneurial mindset I had since a young child in 2001. Um, So that's been over over two decades to go under the brand of, of Potterack Capital Advisory. How did things change, though? How did your focus change? Well, and prior to that, and what is most common in the financial industry is that a person works as a as an advisor in a in a larger firm, and it's somewhat inevitable in a larger firm which uh, has grown the business through scaling and such, much like uh, familiar franchises that we all know, like a, a McDonald's or a Lowe's, is that there's a top down mentality about how to do things possibly what products and strategies to offer to uh, to clients. And at times that was not aligned with what I felt the client was seeking or what was available in the industry that would best serve a particular family. Uh, and so that kind of, you know, not at me a, a while. Now there's a lot, uh, there's a lot of positives and a lot of support mm-hmm. as a younger advisor or an advisor earlier in their career, having that infrastructure and support and leadership around them but I, I felt that I had, in effect, graduated to the to the point where I wanted to be independent, which really opened up. And it's somewhat counterintuitive, I find, for the public that as an independent firm, or sometimes I refer Patrice to us as, as a boutique firm, uh, we actually have a wider array, in my view, of strategies and options to customize a plan for each and every family that may be distinctly different from another family, if only in how their worldview is or what their goals are, even though maybe the demographics, same age, that sort of thing might be the same. So the ability to bring customization to my clients, the the ability for me to take a longer term view with the families that we served, 
in contrast to sometimes a larger corporation that might be a public corporation working on, you know, quarter to quarter kind of a thing. Those were two fundamental areas of difference. And that's that that really led me in that in that direction. I and and then it was it was a very different feeling also when I brought on a client from client one to client two to client three as a part of my own company, that was so edifying and 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 more thrilling, if you will, than bringing on clients representing another firm. So there was just at my core, it was it was motivating to build the mm. business from the ground up. And at the same time, being able to offer more, in my view, than what I could offer at larger firms. Did this mindset change over time or was there one incident that incident that bingo it was there you knew that this is what you needed to do well i I was aware of the differences or at least at, at a high level the differences between independent and working for a firm early on in my career but it's very in, an intimidating decision because sure. what the what the financial industry has done and other industries as well is as you're a, a young advisor they uh, lead you to think that it's the brand. And I don't like to mention companies, but let's say I was an advisor at ABC monster brokerage firm. Uh, <laughs> they want they want us to believe that a big part of what attracts clients to working with me is ABC monster brokerage firm. Uh, and, and there is some legitimacy to that, but I think that if there was an event, it was my wife, Dawn, who had to listen to me uh, day after day, night after night with the frustrations I had. And so she really believed in me, believed in my capabilities and kind of nudged me or pushed me off off that ledge. And, and actually rather quickly, Patrice, like, I don't know, within six, six to 12 months, I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah. Then why did I wait so long? And that's been a common theme as in my career, I've coached a lot of independent advisors on practice management and help people make that transition. And almost universally, it's like, golly, Molly, why did I, why did I wait so long? What makes you so unique? You do have a very different structure for your company. Yes. And I, just for our wide ranging audience, I would say, you you know, unique is not necessarily positive or negative, but there's no doubt that we, that we do many things uniquely and differently. And First of all, being virtual, and uh, that comes with great opportunity in that I can work with anybody all over the country quite easily and actually in the same way. You know, our clients don't have to find a parking spade, all that kind of stuff. So so being virtual is is unique, but also our process is much more thorough than any other process I've come across in, in my 30-plus years in the industry, and it's important that the the family that we're considering working with and me and my team are doing a lot of due diligence and making sure that if we decide to work with a client everybody feels really good about it and and so that process it would be it would be very rare and have to have unusual circumstances if we were to invite anybody to become a client of our firm prior to at least five independent meetings that and, is a lot compared to some other advisors, yeah, yeah. And then you know, I, I I have I have advisors say, well, gosh, what do you talk about that long? Or or some of them that are a little bit more, let's just say, self assured of themselves, say, well, I can get people on in clients and you know two meetings, as if it's the old show, name that tune. <laughs> but you know, really, 
really quickly, I mean, I don't, each meeting has to be purposeful. If it's not purposeful, I have better things to do. And certainly my prospective clients have better things to do. But if I'm looking to develop, as I am, Patrice, a long-term relationship with the couple or the family that I'm talking about, why in the world would I be in a hurry to bring them on as a client if we haven't covered all of the bases? Their, their estate planning documents, the tax efficiency, fees, expenses, do their strategies align with what they're trying to accomplish with their financial objectives? There's there's a lot there's a lot of meat there in a process that comparatively I I believe just gets glossed over. Now, for some of our listeners, because not everybody has experience working with a financial professional, but again, I've been in this business for over three decades, and I would say that kind of a template for the industry at, at a lot of firms is kind of an initial discussion, thirty to sixty minutes getting some statements and such. And then, and then literally in that second meeting, third meeting at the most, it's recommendations and an encouragement to move assets, move the accounts to the firm. And I just don't see how a professional could legitimately fully understand a client fact set, a client's mm -hmm. mindset and outlook that quickly. And I would add one more thing related to that in terms of what the template that I see most commonly in the industry is because it's very numbers oriented. It's like, okay, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith are 62 years old and they've got X amount of money. And so there's just a ton of assumptions between something like that. And I think you should invest in this mutual fund, this ETF, this, you know, structured note on and on and on all the different strategies that exist. So we spend a lot more energy and time on the qualitative aspect, uh, the questioning, the listening, uh, and it makes it so much clearer for the people we work with and for me to provide accurate strategies customized to that household that align with exactly what they're trying to accomplish financially. I'm going to ask you who your ideal client is, but before that, within this discovery process, Usually, how long does it take before you can look at someone and say, yes, they're a fit or I don't think this is going to work? Uh, great question. We're very intentional about this. So the first step is we schedule a 30 minute Zoom or phone call. I prefer Zoom because you know, it's just body language right. and that sort of thing. But, you know, you talk to somebody for 30 minutes. First of all, you're going to get a first impression. That's just human nature. They get a first impression of me. I get a first impression of them. And then... It, over that period of time, as I'm asking questions and and soliciting questions from them, if they're not the personality that proactively asks them, and, and you spend 30 minutes in a conversation with somebody, you get a pretty good sense of who they are. You get a pretty good sense of, are they open-minded? Are they coming at this in a defensive manner? Do they think they know more than they might? So, <laughs> you know, so there's... <laughs> There, there's an element of that up up front, but then at the same time, with my background, I don't want to make any sweeping judgments. It can be nervous for somebody to speak to somebody they didn't know 30 minutes ago about financial matters, private matters, and sometimes a defense mechanism for all of us as people is, is to kind of put up, I don't know, our haunches or whatever. And But that's a part of it. And then the next step is Anna from my office follows up in the next 24 to 48 hours to kind of take their temperature, calls up and just finds out, hey, did 
what did they think about the time they spent with me? Never want to see Ryan again. Can't wait to get on his calendar or anywhere in between. Uh, so she gets that feedback and she's so talented at it. But also then we have the first, I call it a barrier to entry, but the first opportunity for the prospective uh, client to behaviorally demonstrate they're interested is we have a questionnaire. They fill out the questionnaire. They're just yes, no questions. We don't want to give anybody a headache with essay questions. But in addition to that, there is a list of documents that they would upload to us, account statements, recent tax returns, wills, trust, anything that would affect their wealth. We have a secure way, Patrice, of them uploading those, those documents as well. And so if that person takes that step, it demonstrates some trust and some commitment. And I honor that trust and commitment by typically spending 90 minutes to two hours reviewing all of that putting it in what we call a smart fit analysis. This is in written form in a PowerPoint presentation that the next time I speak with these prospective clients would be a one hour Zoom where I'm going to go over that information in detail about, again, conflicts of interest, fees and expenses, tax efficiency, basically in written form. What do I see that they may or may not be aware of but that prospective client and I are going to have an equal understanding of those issues in that hour. And at the end of that hour, we what we do at PCA is we convert that to a PDF and we send that to them. So it's, it's kind of a written second opinion that has standalone value. So that's typically 90 minutes of two hours of prep time for me. And, you know, we don't charge any, any fees to get this far. However, the last slide of our smart fit analysis, based on everything that I know to that point, the complexity, because I've seen a lot of their documents, I've got a good understanding. I've talked to them now twice. I quote a project fee. And this is very different than the industry going to your, your mm. question just a little bit ago. Because normally from this point, the industry would say, okay, we ought to do X, Y, and Z. You know, we'll prepare the paperwork. You'll move your accounts from ABC brokerage firm to my brokerage firm. But the project fee for those in our audience that have ever um, with with an attorney, the project fee for those in our audience that have ever written a, a retainer check to an attorney or maybe even a CPA for some work, it's very similar to what our project fee is. And so I estimate if because to this point in the process, Patrice, there hasn't been any cost. They've extended trust, went through a little bit of hassle. I've honored that by doing the, the smart fit analysis. However, going forward in what I refer to as our discovery process, that's typically going to be three to five more one hour standalone meetings. Mm. Again, purposeful to take a deeper dive on the issues, on the issues that we uncovered in the smart fit analysis. So the more complex the documents are and the issues are, it naturally is going to take more time. Uh, but the project fee is uh, a way where, again, the client is paying me for what I know and the time for me to share it with them. It's the next step in the process 
but it's not about moving accounts yet. It's not a, you know, I'm, I'm not so arrogant to think, well, okay, I know exactly what you should do. We're going to start moving money into this, this strategy and that strategy. Uh, and that really is a difference in the industry mm -hmm. because if the client, if the client chooses or the couple chooses not to pay the project fee fair, but we're done. Uh, and for a lot of advisors I've coached, maybe a client has a million, maybe 5 million or, or what have you. And, and for that advisor to put kind of a line in the sand and say, okay, I'm not just going to start shooting from the hip with recommendations. I'm going to charge a fee up front, a fee specifically for advice, not product. So very mm -hmm. much fiduciary. Uh, it is scary for a lot of advisors, but we have found it to be very, very helpful to the prospective clients and to our team. And that that process, the discovery process, Patrice, creates an environment now where there's not a, it's not a sales environment. They've, they've in effect, they bought the time and we are going to discuss each issue or each strategy what are the benefits and the limitations of, of various strategies? Because everything has benefits and limitations in business and life. So that then kind of takes its normal course. It becomes self-evident at some point whether the client and I uh, should and want to work together. And let's say that that's the case. Uh, it can be one of two ways. We have many clients who decide, you know, I want to keep my accounts. I'm a do-it-yourselfer. I want to keep my accounts where they are. But wow, I've learned a lot that I didn't understand. Ryan, can I just going forward pay you and your team for your time mm -hmm. if I have a life event or maybe once a year to kind of keep things on track? And of course they can. We absolutely work that way. That also is not common. And then there's also the way of working with us. It is a more fuller relationship or proactive on our side, where they would move their accounts from wherever they're currently held to Charles Schwab, which is our custodian as of this uh, this Labor Day 2023. And the I guess we have a wide ranging audience, but uh, when you're independent, as we are working with a huge custodian like Charles Schwab, the purpose of Schwab, because they're not my employer, but the purpose is to protect our clients' accounts from identity uh, theft, fraud, mm -hmm. bad stuff happening. So working with a boutique firm, some of our audience may never have heard of before. We have every bit the protections of, of any firm anywhere in America um, because Charles Schwab is obviously a well-known name in a, in, a, in a huge firm. Right. After going through this process, Ryan, and it does sound like it is very, as you say, purposeful, who do you find seems to be I won't call it an ideal client, but a good fit, the best fit for you folks. Well, I really, some of the characteristics would, would be of the prospective client or clients would be an open-mindedness, some intelligence. There's a certain level of intelligence because the challenge Patrice can be, if you're hiring somebody to do anything, you would hope the person you're hiring knows more than you. Right. But there's a, but there, and, and so you think we go to the doctor, we, you know, we pretty much trust what the doctor says that may have modified over the past few decades. But nonetheless, in, in our industry, in my industry with a person's money, it, it's natural for a prospective client to be uncomfortable with anything that is unfamiliar. 
I think that also is is human nature. Mm-hmm. But of course, they're going to be unfamiliar with certain strategies if they're working with a professional who has the acumen and the experience of three plus decades. And so that's a part of the process where I'm introducing these strategies in the discovery process. And so intelligence helps. I like to think I'm good at explaining stuff, but just being able to grasp the high points is important, but also being open, open-minded, coachable to, as I start to explain that, because that is a, a fair amount of the time in the discovery process, in case anybody in our audience is wondering, well, gosh, what do you talk about for four or five meetings? <laughs> it's because we want the client to have a fair understanding, not in the weeds too much. And so open-minded, coachable, I, I think strategically when couples and clients get beyond about 50 years of age, they start to be able to see this, this this retirement thing that's been a bit abstract as a concept for a few decades. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where the creativity can come into play as people start to lead up to retirement, transition into retirement, because they're transitioning from an accumulation objective typically for their portfolio into an income objective for their portfolio, as you or as you've heard me say, you know, going from paychecks to playchecks. They also have to decide, when do I turn on Social Security? What do I do with these 401ks and IRAs if they have pensions? So it adds complexity in that phase of life beyond 50 through basically through end of life that lead to a lot more customization. Now, we work with people younger than 50. I don't want the audience to get that impression. But for many of us, they're you know, 35, 40, they've got kids, they got this and that. It's kind of nose to the grindstone, stuff as much money as you can in the 401k and 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 just you know work your tail off. And that's great, but there's not the same complexity mm-hmm. or tax planning sort of stuff that goes in. So that's how I would respond to to an ideal client. All right. You have been in the business for a while. I mean, no question about that. What are some of the moments in your career where you feel you've really made a a special impact? A uh, few. Well, one thing pops into my head that I just touched on briefly is I am a believer in coaching uh, and not just athletics. So I've I've invested a lot of money in um, in industry coaching. So I myself consider myself coachable, and in th- that, in terms of my capability, led to leaps and bounds. But I've too, I think where you're going with that, Patrice, is uh, it's tough. I, you know, there's been at least three times, three times that are just really bright in my in my head where I'm sitting at the kitchen table with a couple and and the husband is literally going to live another week or two. Oh dear. And I think of one in particular where the the gentleman was um a do-it-yourselfer. And just he he enjoyed it. And he 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 managed his money, but I had I worked for him, kind of in the advice stage. Didn't have accounts with us. He was a do-it-yourselfer, and and I got called over to the home, and 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 so he's there with his wife. The uh, the older children are all there, and and he said I said I he said I you know I want you to take care of my 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 wife and and manage the money when when I'm no longer around, and so. You know, I just put my hand on on his hand and try to reassure. And it's just, I mean, that is as human as it gets. Yeah. And so I, I've done that and continue to, to do that. And and I've had two other examples very, very similar to that 
And I remind our team from time to time as we're as we're doing the operational work and all the stuff that we do, this is what we're really about. And so when when we have a spouse lose a spouse, uh, um, you know, and unfortunately, as a man, unfortunately, it's the husband first. But right, yeah. you know, that's where we really make a difference. Or or somebody all of a sudden has a, a change in their job or a crisis to them. Uh, there's the emotion immediately. And then there's, are we going to be okay financially? Right. I, I just think that's where it goes. And, and we're there. We're there. You know, that, Patrice, I'd like to add something else real quick, kind of going sure. back Go right ahead. on the process, because, because I've mentioned kind of offhandedly do it yourselfers several times. And it's an area where I, I think we also uniquely uh, serve value because it, a, a do-it-yourselfer, I think at its core, doesn't have either, either an understanding and or a respect for what a qualified, competent financial professional can do. And so when I'm talking to a do-it-yourselfer, which is almost always a guy, I mean, in general, <laughs> I, I've got a lot of research no here. No comment. Uh, it's almost, it's almost uh, yeah, managing the male ego is a part of my job. But so it's almost always a guy. And I always ask, I said, so... What is your what role does Mrs. Do It Yourself or have in the in the process? And typically, it's in a marriage. You know, yeah, the husband takes certain things and the wife takes certain things, and mm -hmm. they work as a partnership. But typically, if you have one spouse, in this case, I'm going to use in my example the husband who's very interested in investing and watching all the financial news and blah blah blah, then the spouse, the wife, probably is not going to go there. Just kind of has takes on other interests. So I asked the do-it-yourself or the, the the gentleman, have you ever thought about what happens if you die first? And then your wife is your, in effect, your portfolio manager. And I let that sit there. And it's almost as if they've never contemplated that they might die or die first. Right. And And so all of a sudden where their head goes is they say, Oh my goodness. So my wife doesn't have an, an intimate knowledge of all of this stuff, not to, to speak to her, her intellect. It's just not what mm -hmm, she's right. spent her energy on. And and then he starts thinking because he's never worked with a financial professional, he, he, he may not think highly of the industry. And he's like, Oh my goodness, I'm sending my wife to the wolves. <laughs> and, and so I let that thought fester, so to speak. And I, and I say, you know, Mr. Do-It-Yourself, for part of the value we might provide, and this is early on, I have no idea at this point, but we've helped many others in this situation, that if we had some kind of a relationship, you know, maybe we were just providing advice from time to time for a fee and not getting into the minutia of, of what funds you want to invest in, then we would have a relationship, Mrs. Do-It-Yourself would know us, be comfortable. You're, in effect, doing due diligence over time as to how we might handle your affairs if you were to die first. And that really is almost like an insurance policy or a bridge of security potentially for Mrs. Do-It-Yourselfer. Mm -hmm. And, and that is, that is the, what I found to be most helpful in, in assisting the Do-It-Yourselfer in understanding how would a relationship with a financial professional have value today but the industry has made it typically, a, you know, you either move your assets to us in accounts or we don't want to work with you. And that's another part going back to where we started today, Patrice. It's my business and, and I can have alternate ways to trade value 
for compensation that both parties can feel good about. Quick follow-up question here. When a situation like this happens and the do-it-yourselfer begins to realize the situation that's been created, does the wife ever suddenly start to take an interest or does she usually sit back and say, okay, you guys, you get this relationship going. When you're gone, honey, I know who I can go to. They do. They absolutely do. I don't, I get uncomfortable talking about myself uh, with regards to anything that would be taken as braggadocious, but I do have a very strong ability to translate financial concepts and such to English that makes sense, that that translates into what is purposeful and actionable. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yes, in, in a do-it-yourself from moving into the discovery process in almost all situations, right from the jump, the the spouse is involved, but if not involved in the front end of the discovery process, before we're done with it, in this example, she has definitely been involved because, and again, I still use, I still think some things are true and women tend to have a better sensitivity to emotional intelligence uh, in, in some of the issues as opposed to men tending to be bottom line numbers oriented. Both are important, but yes, definitely the the wife gets involved, gets a sense of of comfort. I've had a lot of wives say, you know, Ryan, we just had a client event a, a week ago and I had, I had a client, a woman come up to me and she said, I was so, I was so upset. I was almost into tears and you reassured me on our last review and it just means so much to me. And and I know my husband says a lot of the same things because the husband works primarily with me and <laughs> kind of translates to her, but it, it really can be the messenger. Yes. It, and so for, for the do-it-yourselfer who's working with me and we're aligned, or then my, me being the messenger that reinforces Mr. Do-it-yourselfer <laughs> to Mrs. Do-it-yourselfer is really, really helpful. Because I think in in many marriages, there's certain topics that you just kind of in that drawer and it might have a little awkwardness to open up the drawer. And over the years, when you have a couple where one has handled all of the finances and investments and the other one has not, that can slowly build up almost like plaque uh, within the relationship. And I help to uh, soften that in many cases. Fantastic answer, Ryan. Now, as we wrap this up, what are we going to talk about next time? It actually kind of rolls into what you were just talking about. Well, if I remember correctly, and in, 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 uh, it's going to be the psychology of money. Yes. And, and, and you can, uh, you know, I think our audience may be already getting a sense of it, that it's really a, it's really a thread throughout. I mean, to, to end today, I mean, money, if you think about it at its core, is a medium of exchange. It's ink on paper with no intrinsic value. So that value depends a lot on the holder of that money and what they are actually wanting to achieve or how they want to use that money for their for their good or for the good of others. So the psychology of money is important as opposed to just keeping score. We all can agree as we sign off today, more money is better than less. If you have more than you want or need, you can give it away to a charity of your choice. So getting into the psychology of money is is coming up next. All right. And how can listeners reach you, Ryan? Well, they can go to our website, www.potterac.net, P 
P-O-T-E-R-A-C-K dot net. We're also out there on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, or call our office at 704-366-5776. All right, folks, this is the time to hit that follow or subscribe button to make sure you don't miss any of Ryan's episodes. And of course, please share with friends and family. And thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to Life Isn't Lived on a Spreadsheet. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. To ask questions about topics covered during the show or get a copy of Making It Count, Life Isn't Lived on a Spreadsheet by Ryan Potterack, visit www.potterack.net or give us a call at 704-366-5776. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Potterack Capital Advisory. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Potterack Capital Advisory does not offer legal or tax advice. Please consult the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstances. Nothing contained herein is to be considered a solicitation, research material, an investment recommendation, or advice of any kind. The information contained herein may contain information that is subject to change without notice. Any investments or strategies referenced herein do not take into account the investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific person. Product sustainability must be independently determined for each individual investor. Potterack Capital Advisory explicitly disclaims any responsibility for product suitability or suitability determinations related to individual investors. 